ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the evening, Jones. Be here by now. Y'all wash our hands. Any y'all? Y'all wash our hands? I have become a vigorous hand washer. I wish I could like put my hand up to the camera to show you how ashy my hands are. In fact, this is my new thing right now. I don't know if I'm going to trust you if your hands ain't ashy. Maybe you walk around carrying lotion. That's fine. That's possible. Maybe you do that, right? Ladies tend to have some in their bag. So if they, you know, I ain't going to really be judging the ladies on this front. But fellas, if your hands ain't out here ashy, I'm assuming that you ain't out here doing your part. You got to do your part. And on that topic, you know, the coronavirus, let me tell you what I was thinking about the other day. I mentioned this on another show, but I'm going to say it here, okay? Who invented soap? Does anybody know who invented soap? I want to know who invented soap. Because whoever invented soap, we need to give you your flyers. I don't really understand why it is that your picture is not on walls everywhere. Um, I'm looking at the wiki right now. It says humans have used soap for cleaning for millennia. Evidence exists of production of soap-like materials in around 2800 B.C. in ancient Babylon. Hey, man, shout out to ancient Babylon. Way to go. Like, There's a whole lot of things in our lives that have been very simple um, inventions. Like we always talk about Thomas Edison and the light bulb, Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone. You know what I mean? Like people that came up with something that they feel like just set the whole thing off. But there's a lot of baby steps that went on along the way that helped us all get toward this place where we are. Right. And one of those people. All right. So, I mean, I understand this. I don't mean to be, I won't get escape per se, but I just, you know, hear me out here. There was somebody one day who was like, hold on, baby. I'll be right back. And he went away for a second. And when he came back, she was like, yo, what's that? And he was like, oh, um, I just had some lambskin laying around over there. And I just wanted to see, like, if it would fit. You know, um, and it did. That's a man of vision, man. That's a man of purpose. Or a lady who was like, yo, go over there and get that lambskin if you think you're coming back over here. Right? Whoever did that, we don't give that person enough credit. If you want to fast forward to whoever came up with the bright idea to do this with latex, we don't give that person nearly enough credit. I can't say this about all of y'all, but for some of you, stop and ask yourself, how much faith in your life have you put into a latex condom, right? Just stop and think about that, right? Whoever invented that, we don't give that person enough credit. And I feel the same way about soap. And, you know, I was thinking about this with soap. Like somebody at some point came up with soap. How bad had it gotten for somebody to be like, yo, we have to come up with a solution. 
how foul was whatever was going on for you to be like, yo, there's got to be something better than this. All right. Uh, people are making the point. They're like, yeah, you was like, yo, give me some of that animal fat and we'll figure it out. Animal fat, as far as I know, is what they settled on. What other things were they trying prior to the animal fat in order to try to clean things? What was the process of trial and error? Because like I see somebody here that says uh, probably like crushing up flowers. That would seem to be a reasonable guess. But I think after doing that, somebody had to be like, yo, this ain't working. Right. So if they tried something that was too soft and it didn't work, you know, there's somebody that tried something way too hard. In fact, how much you want to bet that there was somebody that was like, yo, I'm going to burn this funk off. That's what I'm going to do. And then they was like, yo, 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 it's too far. It's too far. It's too far. It's not going to work the way we think. It's not. Now somebody here said, uh, that's a trial and error you don't want to be a part of. I don't know. I don't know. Depending upon how funky it had gotten, you might have been like, do anything. Everywhere I go, it smells like this. Whatever it takes. Unfunk me. I'm just saying, these are things that I don't feel like people consider. Before 2800 BC, what was they out here doing, man? You know, it must have been smelling ripe. Ripe. Like, a little bit of a spoiler alert, though I imagine if you haven't seen it by now, you won't. And if you see it later, you would have seen this coming. Any of y'all see that Queen of Slim movie? So, I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast, but in the Queen of Slim movie... They had this scene where they was knocking boots in the car. But by the time you get through watching the movie and like you stop uh, and do the math on it, you realize, man, they gone like two, three days without bathing. And then they was knocking boots in the back seat of the car. And look, I'm not judging, man. They was running from the law. They've been through some things. She was kind of fine. Like, you know. I can see how that would happen, right? Like, it's going to stink whether we do this or not. All right, good. Right, but I was like, ooh, man, that, that's the, the four days of funk that y'all got going there. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, yeah, you got that going. Now, imagine if your whole life was that. If everything you did was that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, whoever came up with that soap, I hope they got a promotion. Right? Or something. Like, you don't come through. Because I keep seeing this, uh, like this all this run on Purell right now. How come I don't hear nothing about no run on no soap? You understand what I'm saying? Like, why y'all ain't trying to buy no soap? It's a great thing. Anyway. Let us move on to your questions. You have intimated you're a fan of SVU. Now that you live in New York, would you ever want to make a cameo appearance on the show? 
a la Stephen A. and General Hospital. All right, so it's a very interesting question that you asked there. I have seen some of my favorite rappers be on SVU, you know? Um, let me ask you a question, though. What kind of character you think they're going to make me play, bro? Like, I really got, like, two options here. Child molester or police. Now, every now and then when I walk these streets in New York City, somebody see me and they be like, yo, you the dude on ESPN. It's cool when people do that. You know what wouldn't be cool? If people saw me and was like, yo, they'll go to child molester. Or, or, yo, they'll go to police. Somebody raised the point that maybe they, they could have me play a crackhead because of my slender frame. You know. They'll go to crackhead. I don't really want that either. There aren't a lot of great options there for cameo appearances on SVU, buddy. Just so you know. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. I saw this on Twitter. Going to ask here, which 90s music video do you wish you could have been in? And, I mean, I can't speak for everybody because not everybody is, like, into the same things. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody. Yeah, I don't. I understand that my taste ain't necessarily going to be your taste. And I recognize that the things that I would want to do are necessarily the kind of things that you want to do. But if there was any video whatsoever from the 1990s that I would want to be in, I mean, I feel like the only answer here is anytime, any place by Janet Jackson. Like, all you fools over here talking about big pimping, and I get around by Tupac. Why? So I could be sitting around with my partners and all these women? and we, Or, 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 I could be there when Janet walk in wearing that green dress. <laughs> hey, okay, please tell me all these other dumbass videos that y'all said that y'all wanted to be in. Other than you know, I mean, you could come up with something that's kind of like any time, any place. But all you cats just wanted to go to a party, pumps in a bump. Oh, you want to be there while hammer all in that G string? That's what you want. Okay, good for you. Uh, what else we got here? Like, who, what else did y'all have to say about this? Yeah, I can't. Like, how did I not think of that? What were you thinking of? I wanted to be in the video for High by Juvenile. I've always wanted to go to New Orleans. The cat out here talking about we try to get these raps while chilling with the ladies. You could be chilling with the ladies. I'm trying to chill with one lady and her name is Janet Jackson in the 1993 version of Janet Jackson. Any of y'all got anything that's beating this? Like, I kind of get where you're coming from. Number two, I'd be one of them dudes in the crowd uh, for what you call it. Uh, 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 giving him something he could feel. Yeah, I'd make that work. 
All right. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, I think I see the question I want to answer, but I'm not sure I like the way that it's phrased. Oh, nope, not 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 the way you put that there, buddy. And I bet those of you uh, who sent in a couple of those questions know exactly what the phrasing problem is that I have with some of you have put in here. Here we go. This is much better. Meg Thee Stallion is saying she got played by the record label. Do you think there should be any sympathy for her not reading the fine print? All right. I'm just going to make one point here, at least to start. I don't know how much more I'm going to say. I'm just going to give you something to consider about this Meg Thee Stallion situation with Carl Crawford and her record. And, and, and Carl Crawford owns the label, signed Meg Thee Stallion. T. Ferris is working for the label. T. Ferris worked for Rock Nation now. Meg Stallion went to Rock Nation. Rock Nation apparently trying to get her out of the contract. Um, Carl Crawford has called Jay Prince, you know, apparently, and says that he's trying to protect what he calls what is his. And this is all very interesting because we are talking about a person or at least an artist and what they can produce as property. But that's the nature of this industry. It gets a little tricky. Like this, this is this is just kind of what it is. And all of this is just kind of territorial. And the people that make money in the record industry are people who love our percentages. You know, they're like, yo, I find you. I do this thing for you. And then I get this percentage off of what you do and what you sell from here on out. That's it. It's really uncomfortable when you stop and think about it in those terms. That's what it is. Right. Everybody that's doing some job, the boss see themselves as making some margin of profit off of you. It just feels a little different when it comes so directly by the nature of the percentage, you know, and that's where we are. But here's what I want you to think about here. Whenever this first deal was signed, the people involved are Megan the Stallion, her late mother, T. Ferris, and Carl Crawford. After that, you have Megan sign this distribution deal with 300. And now you start talking about like Leo Cohen. And I don't even know if he was still there at the time, but you know what I mean? Like you now start talking about that record company. The people that folks are putting most at the front in this discussion, the two people that people put most at the front in this discussion are Megan and Carl Crawford. The two people involved in this who knew the least about the record industry are Megan Thee Stallion and Carl Crawford, right? Like, Carl ain't just a novice, and we've just seen this out here. Carl ain't just a novice. Carl ain't know nothing about the game and walked in telling people, I don't know nothing about the game. Let me tell you something about, like, working in the record industry, okay? Like, that is the equivalent of being outside on the street in New York City and somebody asks you something, you'd be like, yeah, the neighborhood, you know, yeah, I ain't really from around here. Oh, really, you're not. You know what I mean? Like, you don't you don't really walk in telling these cats, I don't, you know, I don't really know nothing about this. Really? I'll teach you everything I know. All right, who's the guy that teaches everything he knows, right? You know, they're, they're, they're Carl Crawford and Listen, because this is what this sounds like to me. This more than anything else sounds like a beef between Carl Crawford and T. Ferris. Like just about everybody else involved in this is kind of secondary. Now, how good or bad her deal is, depending on who you talk to. I mean, there are a lot of people who actually look at her deal and say relative to everybody else's first deals, it ain't a bad one. You don't hear too much about people who get a portion of their masters in their first deal. All right. And I don't even know how much the portion or whatever it is, but I did not walk away from seeing details of that contract 
like feeling like it's a terrible, awful deal, like worse than anything anybody gets in the industry. Um, like this ain't that. I've read some stuff, right? This one doesn't seem to be that one. Now you could argue that maybe she wanted a better deal. I don't know how to speak on that. Like I'm not, I'm not sure like what is reasonable for her to get. Like if she was to go to Rock Nation, I don't know what exactly Rock Nation would be negotiating for her on that front. But how bad her contract is with 1501 really depends on who you talk to. And people closer to the record industry, when you talk to them, they don't really say the deal is bad. The thing is, the closer you get to the music industry talking about this deal, you're talking to a bunch of dudes. And there is definitely a kind of man, fuck that bitch element to the way that the discussion is going on around her. That does feel a bit uncomfortable. But I don't know if she got conned in the way that is being advertised that she got conned. I don't like I personally don't know that. Maybe that's the case. I don't know really if it is. I got some people who adamantly will tell you that it ain't the case. Right. But if you go look at how this beef goes and who the parties involved are and who's doing what. uh. T. Ferris comes in with Megan Thee Stallion, then winds up working at 1501. And then when Megan leaves 1501, T. Ferris got a job over there. So, like, the dude that helped her negotiate the deal, he's still in the camp. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's still tight with her in the camp. And I do think it is fair to ask the question, if the deal is as bad as advertised, how is this dude still working with you? If it's as bad as advertised. That I, you, you see what I mean? Like, that's the question. So they're going to get this all settled. You know, like in the end, this is all going to get settled. Carl, Carl, Jay Prince, they'll get that figured out. But again, I don't know. On the front end of this, I just don't know if the deal is as bad as we're being told it is, right? What it is is the record industry. They got a contract. The label she with, he okay with the contract. She wants out of the contract. So now what you got to do to get out of the contract? This is what you got to do to get out the contract, I suppose. Gang recognized gang, right? So no shade to her if this is what she got to do to get out the deal, but I don't. I'm not coming away from this feeling like we're dealing with a victim in the way that it's being advertised that she is. That part, I'm not sure of. I'm not. And I could be wrong, but that part, I'm not sure of. Um, but I think this beef has to do with the dudes involved, and she just happens to be the person that's in the middle. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. They was really out here wilding with the Waka Flocka takes. I'm a fan of his, but the concept of being bad at rapping while making good music shouldn't be that hard to get. Yeah, so this was interesting. Um, Waka Flocka did this fascinating interview. Well, I already saw a little bit of it, so the rest of the interview might not have been that interesting. But he was basically talking about how he got in the rap game, he got his money, he rolled out, and then he decided to see what he could do in business. He, was, he said, look, he's like, I was a whack rapper, you know? And so he's up there with DJ Academics and somebody else. And the Academics dude was like, yo, you really think you was whack? And he was like, yeah, I was whack. He's like, look, man, I listen to rap. Like, my favorite rappers is like DMX, Nas, you know, Outkast, KRS-One. He's like, yo, man, I'm whack. 
And they're like, no, you know, he's like, but he, what he said was interesting. He said, my realness overcame my wagness. And they're like, oh, you why? He's like, yo, get, 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 get Kendrick Lamar in the booth right now. Put me and Kate out in the booth. See what happens. Right? The dude was whack. But his point was, I was not good at rapping, but my personality got me over. And so if you rock with Waka Flocka and you rock with his personality and you enjoyed the music, then cool. There you go. Man, people was fighting me back because apparently they had been saying that he wasn't whack for the longest. And then he comes out and says he's whack. And they're like, you say he whack, but no hands was the jam. We're not saying that the dude didn't have no good songs. We're just saying the dude was whack. Like that could happen. That's what it is. He the one saying it. I got people coming at me on the internet about it. And so then I was like, look, Easy E, whack rapper. Easy does it. Classic record. Easy E wasn't whack. Yes, the fuck he was. Did you not watch Streets of, uh, Straight Out of Compton? Have you not heard anybody talking about Easy trying to rap? He was whack. He had some jams, but he was whack. Why y'all can't be honest about the fact that some of y'all's favorite whack rappers, yo, some people just ain't that good at rapping. They may have good songs, but they not that good at rapping. No, 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 no. You, you can say he's whack, but no hands with the jam. Yo, fool, that's not the point that we trying to make. Man, idiots. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. You see the LADA whose husband pulled the pistol out on the protesters who came to her house. Hey, guys, I'm from Texas. I'm just here to tell you. You run up on somebody's porch in the dark, it's a good chance they're going to pull a gun on you. That's all I'm telling you. You run up on somebody's porch like that, there's a good chance somebody might pull a gun on you. Well, we just here protesting. Just, huh? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, you decide that you're going to run up on somebody's house. Every risk that comes from running up on somebody's house is a risk that you're not in, is you're now incurring. So that's just what it's going to be. Appreciate the question. Let's try another one. What is it about riding the subway that is appealing to celebrities? I never see any celebrities riding the bus. Well, it's very simple. What's appealing about riding the subway is that it's easier to get to where you're going. You don't see celebrities riding the bus. The bus has red lights, dummy. And yes, I'm calling you dummy because this is dumb. There's nothing about the subway that is appealing to celebrities no more than it's appealing to anybody else. It's the best way to get around the city. So to answer your question, what's appealing to it? The same thing as everybody else. And if you look on the internet, you'll find a picture of Phil Jackson riding the bus. And that same dummy asked me, are you going to give us that DJ Vlad interview for and about the culture? What's the DJ Vlad can get me to tell on myself about something? Isn't that the dude that be out here trying to get people to tell on themselves? Is that him? That's the dude, right? Michael R. is an idiot. Anyway, next question. How salty is Mike Bloomberg 
today. All right. So I recognize not everybody went to college. And I don't know if college works the same way at other schools as it did at my alma mater, Clark Atlanta University. But every year you got like SGA election season and you got people running for offices and you got people running for like Miss Freshman, Miss Sophomore, Miss Junior, Miss Senior. You got somebody running for Miss CAU, you know, all of that stuff, right? But every year that this happens, I mean, every time, there's always somebody, and it might be multiple people, right? But it's always somebody whose daddy or mama must got some bread because they spend more money on their election promotion campaign than anybody else, right? And I got to say, very often, that person who's putting the biggest push is the person that's running for Miss CAU. Because if you decide you want to be Miss Yo University, you don't do that because you want it a little bit. You do it because you want it a lot of bit. A lot of bit. And your mama and daddy know you want it a lot of bit. And if they got it on them, they're going to give you all the money. So to always wind up being somebody that just puts way more bread in than the other people. The thing about that strategy is, and I don't know how much of this is the limitations of my personal recollection, but the only people that I remember putting all that money behind their campaigns, they all lost. All of them, they all lost. If I remember the person putting the most bread on it, they lost. Like It doesn't really work quite in the way that Bloomberg was going for And so is he salty? Probably. But that man just dropped half a billion dollars on this. And he'll never miss it. Never going to miss it. That's insane. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Despite claims that the Democratic establishment is thwarting Bernie Sanders' campaign, the truth is that young voters didn't pull their weight yet again. Was this surprising to you, given young voters have been trending upwards in recent elections, or is young people being all talk something that should have been expected? Look, here's the thing. You talk about the young people being all talk. I feel very confident saying that the young people that are doing the talk are the ones that are voting. Right? Like, I think everybody wants to find some, like, binary generational way to look at it. From the beginning of time on, Old people vote more. The stakes feel different to old people, right? It means something different the older that you get in doing this. That's just what it's going to be. The young folks are all talk. Wow, yeah, okay, maybe, right? They're young people, but the ones that are talking the loudest are the ones that in all likelihood are voting. Then there's a bunch of people that don't care, a bunch of young people who just don't care, right? They believe their outcomes are going to be the same no matter what happens. There's nothing shocking or surprising by that, right? Like if you are expecting, no matter the election, that a mass of young people is going to be the one to get it done. I mean, guys, do you depend on young people for anything else? Like when you think of young people, do you think dependable? I mean, no matter what you depend on them to do, right? Do you think dependable? Because I don't think dependable. That's just not... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if the future of the world comes, because I got to trust somebody between the age of 18 and 29, shit, man, I'm nervous as hell. 
My booty like this, tight, like a lemon. Is this the only time Yusin's voted was during Vietnam? Oh, yeah, that mattered. That mattered a lot. I bet they were trying to vote twice. All right, hold on. Let me see what else we got here. What would 1990 Chuck D do if 2020 Chuck came back in time and told him he'd fire Flay for a white man? What do you think he'd do to his future self? Okay, so let me ask you a question about this. Um, so you're saying what, like, 2020 Chuck D goes and tells 1990 Chuck D that he has fired Flavor Flav for a white man. Okay, um, let me look up something as we say this so that I want to make sure that I get this right. Okay. Um, do you realize that you are asking 1990 Chuck D this after in 1989 Chuck had to fire Professor Griff for saying, among other things, that Jews were responsible for 70% of the wickedness in the world? I say that to you to simply say. Chuck has had to fire somebody from public enemy because of things involving white people before. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what is it? Also, if you think that what's happening here is really about Bernie Sanders, you're an idiot. Like, read through what all the quotes are and everything that they're saying back and forth. The event involving Bernie Sanders is where the tipping point came. If you think that Bernie Sanders himself is what the break is, really, that's stupid. One issue Chuck clearly has is that Flav don't want to show up to do nothing for free. Flav only wants to show up to do stuff for money. Number two, let us not forget that Flav was not necessarily uh, as opposed to Donald Trump, shall we say, as Chuck D was. Number three, and I think this is a big one, Chuck views the way that Flav has made his money for the last 15 years with remarkable scorn. Right? He believes that Flav has exploited himself in the course of this time. He doesn't respect it. And guess what? Flav of Flav in this does not feel respected. And it comes down in large part to respect. And on top of it, the fact that Chuck D owns the name Public Enemy. Chuck D owns the marks. And so Flav, who I have to guess is reasonable in his understanding of like what his role is in Public Enemy, he don't want to feel like an employee in his group. But the truth is Chuck owns everything. Right? And that's got to be whack. But where I think it gets interesting also is I think that Chuck from the beginning has understood that he needed Flav. It doesn't work without Flav. Flav was there for a necessary level of levity, of fun. Otherwise, it's not very fun music. But the engine behind this is Chuck. It's always been Chuck. It's always going to be Chuck. The politics of public enemy are Chuck's politics. We don't know what Flavor Flav's politics are. I don't know if Flavor Flav has any politics. I don't think he cares. I got no reason to think he does. Why? Because he did not want ones to joke. Who do you think wrote that? So, yeah, 
I don't think that 1990 Chuck is that surprised that this happened with 2020 Chuck. The guy here says Flav was a cog in the wheel. Yeah, that's no, he's not a cog in the wheel. That that's where this gets to be interesting. Flav is far more significant than a cog in the wheel. Like way, way, way more. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Okay, actually put up here. Do you think people waiting in line seven hours to vote is an act of voter suppression? It ain't kind of make people want to vote, is it? Oh, let's see if there's anything else here. We're running out of questions that I feel like answering. Looking, looking, looking. Yep, yep, that's about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing about once a week or so. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you are watching, uh, oh yeah, subscribe. If you can't watch the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We're also at the Google Play Store. All right, talk to you guys in a little while. Take it easy.